Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 112. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, back by popular demand, the returning champion, Professor Dr. Valerie Valhalla Worthington. Valerie, how are you doing? I am great, thanks. And I'm assuming the popular demand is just, I was outnumbered by you two. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically just me and Steve. But, yeah. Okay. We get very lonely here sometimes. You know, it's a it's a pandemic. We're in isolation. So really the more people we can talk to, the better. It's okay by me. I'm 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 lonely too. <laughs> well, I think that now we, we're all together here. This is a great opportunity to cover a topic that has been on the docket for a long time. We've alluded to this in the past multiple times. Valerie, we were talking offline about this particular matter, and we decided it would be a good idea to actually hop on the mic and record. So today we want to talk about killing the ego, something that everyone says jujitsu is all about. But at the end of the day, I actually am not entirely sure. And I think that it's up to all of us to take a more active process in, in managing our ego and also acknowledging that there may be situations where our ego might have its values if it can be applied and controlled effectively. Now, Valerie, as you have pointed out to me, you are fantastic at being humble. You're the most humble person that you know. So, so, so good. <laughs> seeing as how you are self-proclaimed the most humble person in the world, I thought that you would be the ideal guest for this conversation. Well, you're right, because I don't know of anyone who is more humble than I am. But no, I, I was thinking <laughs> awesome. a lot about <laughs> I was thinking a lot about the last time we talked and just there was a lot of food for thought there. And the reason that I wanted to circle back to this topic with the two of you was because for me, I think that we talk in generalities about what it means to kill the ego or leave the ego at the door. But I'm the person who likes to talk about the big picture in the meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, I like to go, all right, what do I do now? What are my action steps? What can I actually do or say or carry out that will help me get at this bigger topic? So I think we talk a lot about what it means to leave your ego at the door. But I realized that I had to think about the actual ways that I try to do that. Yeah, 100%. And I think that leave the ego at the door in jujitsu land has just become a total platitude. I mean, everyone says it. And I think sometimes we kind of take for granted that as a process and just assume it's it's just going to happen. But that is not necessarily the case. I mean, if you are already of a somewhat humble mindset and, you know, maybe you're not the most athletic person and you're not the biggest person and you come onto the mats and a bunch of strangers wipe the floor with you on day one, I mean, okay, that might humble you. 
But there's a lot of people who, you know, they they're big, strong people. They come into jujitsu in their athletic prime. And just because they're a white belt and they're sparring with a bunch of other white belts, they might actually get a bunch of false positives because they can crush these people because nobody's trained. And in that situation, does it really kill the ego? I would also argue that you see a lot of people who get to black belt rank. And at that point, you know, when you're actually really good at jujitsu, BJJ can wind up becoming an ego boost and it can actually give you confidence that you probably shouldn't have and maybe a level of certainty that you probably shouldn't have. And I know on this podcast, we've talked in the past many times about the challenges with black belts who wind up either intentionally or unintentionally creating a cult of personality around them because there's just an authority that comes with wearing that belt, even if it's not entirely deserved. Yeah, I always pity the the person who has to roll with the new guy who's like a really big athletic white belt, (laughs) you know, and it's like there's that period where they walk in the door and they they don't really know what to expect, but they know that they've come here to fight or they've come here to learn (laughs) martial arts. And then you kind of have to condition them or explain to them, hey, like you can't really you can't really use all of your god-given gifts here (laughs) at least not right now because you don't really know how to utilize them and then you know a lot of the time i have to roll with these people because you know i'm i'm providing a service and and i feel like okay i'll roll with everyone and basically the whole role i'm just like just please keep me safe god damn it (laughs) and then you know there's that that breaking in period where you kind of have to be able to beat them with technique while surviving against someone so athletic before they realize, oh, okay, uh, it's okay to lose. And and then I think in some schools, this this might not even be uh, drilled into their, their students. So you will get guys that reach high ranks and, you know, they're afraid to lose positions. They're afraid to lose anything whatsoever. And they spaz out a situation. So yeah, it's always fun rolling with those new white belts. We may have different definitions of fun, but I actually do think that... It's not fun. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not fun. It can be, it can be unfun. While you were talking, I was thinking about when you add on the layer of you have someone who comes in who's sort of a physical specimen, a, you know, a male physical specimen, and they come in and they see me teaching. I'm a 50 year old woman. And I can tell you a lot of men have come in and kind of looked askance and thought, what is she going to teach me? And so there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is that I think we talk out of both sides of our mouths. And I'll speak for myself on this. I know that I try really hard to think about leaving my ego at the door, tapping is learning, et cetera, et cetera. But I know that I have judged people. I've judged the brown belt who's gotten tapped by the blue belt. And I'm not proud of that. I think it's part of the culture that we're in. And I think that it's part of my job to try to eradicate that. But that is deeply ingrained. So I think that part of the problem with killing the ego is that on the one hand, we say you got to kill your ego. And then on the other hand, we as a community say and do things to let everybody know that keep that ego around. Yeah, it's, you know, interestingly, in a prior episode, we were talking to our mutual friend, Emily Kwok, and Matt and Emily actually had a great conversation about this and how it's not just as simple as killing the ego. I mean, in most life situations, having an out of control ego is not a good thing. It's transparent to everyone that it's a character flaw. It's going to hold you back. It's going to cause problems. In the land of jujitsu, it might result in either you or the other person getting injured. But there is a time when you need to harness that. And usually we're talking about competition here, right? Matt and Emily in our chat, we're talking about how if you want to compete and succeed, 
you have to have some degree of ego and some degree of like a, a well of confidence that you can draw upon. And if you don't have that, then you kind of fall into the mindset of just being overly passive and not really putting in your full effort. I mean, uh, one of the things that the ego does do for us is it allows us to sometimes be more stubborn than we probably actually should be. <laughs> and a lot of the time that's not good, but in a single competitive competition, I can see that that might actually have its merits. Yeah, there's a meme from Because Jitsu, which is one of the top jujitsu meme Instagram pages. I love Because Jitsu. Yeah, it's it's run by Drew Weatherhead out, out in Alberta. He's a, he's a friend of mine. We've competed before. You know, he's got some really funny memes. And there there's a famous clip from this bowler who's doing like this charity competition and when he wins the tournament he starts freaking out and he's like i did it who do you think you are i am and he's screaming all over the place (laughs) and the meme is you know it says me your ego is your enemy and then it says below me winning a local tournament (laughs) and it's this guy just (laughs) celebrating just obnoxiously and i think i think it's important when we're talking about ego you know the common misconception about ego is that It's the kind of ego that makes you look like a dickhead. It's the kind of ego that makes you unpleasant to be around and all this stuff. And of course, there is that side of it. But having an ego doesn't necessarily mean that you're unpleasant to be around or that you're a dick. It could mean that you, you know, you train really hard. And when you go into competition, you're extremely confident because you've you've really, you know, tested the limits during your training and you feel confident. Likewise, if you're a business person. It could mean that you are extremely confident in your business practices or, or the product or the service that you produce. And so you're not really worried about local competition infringing upon your leads or, you know, your sales or whatever. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're unpleasant to be around. I think being stubborn is a good example, Steve, but uh, I think an even more accurate way to describe it would be to be persistent. A lot of the time when you have an ego, you kind of, you really have that persistence and that that a lot of the time leads to succeeding. It's such a good point. And from a learning perspective, you also, one of the things that I will tell students is we need to not only understand where our areas for development are, we need to understand where our strengths are so that we can build on those. And so that speaks to what you're saying in terms of a healthy ego. And what I'm sitting here thinking while I'm listening to you talk is that you know, no wonder the platitude gets interpreted in so many different ways, sometimes by the same person in one class session or in one training experience, because it is such a much more complex concept and way of thinking than leave your ego at the door gives it credit for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that ego is one of those things that it's a word that has kind of encapsulated a lot of different concepts. And I guess we need to separate out the difference between, you know, having an ego, being overly proud and boastful versus just being confident. And I think sometimes people get those things confused. I mean, you know, there's that classic quote, I think from Bruce Lee about how, you know, look, I'm not bragging. I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you the truth. You know, if you know that you're good at something, you have a level of confidence and, artificially suppressing that you're good at something just so that you don't offend people, that's not necessarily being humble, right? There's a difference between 
bragging and being honest about your skill sets. And this is actually a problem I had for a long time in my career, especially in things like job interviews. I always wanted to come across as someone who was really, really humble. And so I would not be comfortable talking about my accomplishments because I felt like then I'm bragging. But it took me a long time to realize that these are not the same things. It's one thing to be artificially confident and boastful, to take credit for things that you didn't do, to prop yourself up, to try to make yourself feel good at the expense of others. That's different from just being truthful about the person that you are and what you're capable of doing. Humble bragging, I think, is... uh... It's pretty annoying, uh, and I've I've done it before. It's uh, and then I caught myself and I realized what I was doing, and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty obnoxious for everyone around me who can see what I'm, what I'm doing because it kind of just refeeds your ego again. I'm reminded by stuff, uh, and again, these guys are labeled very, very egotistical, but they bring valid points, and that's uh, Gordon and Tom DeBlast. They have this thing, you know, they often shit on the old jujitsu cliche: you either win or you learn, right? Like meaning that if you lose, well, at least we can take a positive from that and learn. And I do think there's truth to that for sure. But there's also truth to the fact that you know, if it, let's say you want to win ADCC or Olympics or the highest level of sport, whatever. I mean, if you go in there with no ego and you have that attitude where like, well, I either win or I'm going to learn something, you're never going to be the Michael Jordan or the Gordon Ryan of your sport with that attitude. Gordon brings up an interesting point in his mindset instructional where he says, why couldn't I win and also learn? Why couldn't I learn from my wins as well as my losses? Why is it that I either win or I learn? Because it's kind of like a a false dichotomy, right? You could also still win and learn. You could lose and not learn anything. And going into competition, especially where you're going against, you know, nowadays athletes who are so skilled, let's be honest, you know, getting some help from some supplements and just absolute savages at at an extremely young level. These guys are capable of such high level jujitsu. I mean, you can't go in there and try and beat these guys and not have some kind of an ego. You know, it would be like a UFC fighter going into the cage and not having any ego. I think there's certain environments where it pays to shut down your ego. Maybe you're in the training room and you really want to work on your late armbar defenses or, or late defenses for any specific technique. But then there's also a time where you kind of, you need to have an ego and you need to be able to flip that switch and say, okay, like I'm coming in here and I'm doing, I'm going to have a good day and I'm going to do what I need to do to win today. And I know that I can do it because I have the confidence. And if that's ego talking, then, you know, then I guess that's what it is. But To say, oh, you're either going to win or you learn, that's, to me, I've kind of changed my mind on that cliche. This reminds me of what we were talking about the last time, this idea of staying in your lane, almost. The different manifestations or the different demonstrations of ego that you're talking about remind me that uh, it's contextual. So as you say, if you're in the training room, it's not the time necessarily to talk about all the, the medals that you've won, but... When you're competing, that's the time for you to tap into, yeah, you know, I kicked ass in my training camp. I am, I'm dialed in on my diet. I've done everything right. And to really use that to feed your growth. So just as we need to make sure that we're staying in our lane in terms of what we can realistically do and offer as jujitsu instructors, it's occurring to me that the same is true of the ego. What role do we need the ego to be playing in different contexts? And how do we make sure that we're using the ego in that proper role? Yeah. And, you know, you talk about like the environment and the context of of the ego. I mean, 
if I'm meeting up with my friend to do some one-on-one training and he's a black belt or a brown belt and he's high level, I'm probably going to try to beat that person in training just because it's honestly the most beneficial for both of us most of the time. And I might try to, you know, if if they tap me out and I don't, let's say in that moment, I don't want to be tapped out. Yeah. My ego might remind me, Hey, you know, you just got fucking tapped out. That can't happen. If it's one thing, if you put yourself in a, in an arm bar and try and work your way out and you get tapped, you get tapped. It's another thing when you're really trying hard in training and okay, the goal now is to not lose. And then you still lose to not have an ego means, oh, I don't care about that. It's it's like, that's fine for a hobbyist or for someone who's, you know, not really trying too hard. But if you're trying to compete, then that's not really a healthy attitude. But if you're in a room with a a brand new beginner, like I said, maybe the 250 pound white belt, you know, and you're going with them and you're really imposing your will on them. You're not letting them move at all. You're, you're making it an unpleasant training experience for them. You're basically showing them, Hey, like this is, this is an acceptable mindset to have in my gym and you can adopt this mindset. And so they'll, what they're going to do is they're going to adopt that egotistical mindset. Every time they roll, they're just going to think, Oh, this is how I should roll. I should, I should go hundred percent and I should be a dick and I should win at all costs. Or for a great example, I think would be kids, you know, kids are so they're like sponges. They basically will pick up any, any mannerisms, any knowledge you give them and make it, make it their own and it becomes their own personality. So if I have a room full of white belt kids and I'm rolling with the white belt kids or I'm watching kids beat each other and I'm just like screaming at them, don't lose, or or I'm going really hard on these kids when I roll with them. You know, what kind of example does that set? That sets the example that, you know, the instructor will never lose. You know, you shouldn't lose. Losing is bad. And, uh, you know, whenever you roll, you should try as hard as you can. So I think that there's, like we discussed about the environment and the context of the ego, sometimes it's useful, but certainly sometimes under certain circumstances, it's a negative for sure. And you've just added on another layer of complexity here, which is that each of us individually is not dealing only with our own egos. We're dealing with other people's egos and how we perceive other people to be perceiving us. So that that adds yet another layer of complexity, which is making me realize more and more that this is a beast that's hard to kill. Yeah, it's kind of like Wittgenstein's ladder, if I'm saying that correctly. Sorry, sorry, Diego. I love how you (laughs) mispronounce this every single episode. Every single episode, you bring it up. Deagle, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, can you please come on back and do an episode on this shit? Because we really don't know what we're talking about. It's Wittgenstein, isn't it? Wittgenstein. Wittgenstein's ladder, I think is how you pronounce it. Right. So like a lot of gyms will have that that literature on the wall, even my gym, it, there's a sign on guard, Matt rules sign, not me, Matt rules, but, but the rules of the of, <laughs> <laughs> on guard, Matt rules. That's, that's what it says on my gym. I would love that if a new white belt walks into your gym and there's this giant sign, this is like on guard, Matt Kwan rules. And yes. that's the first thing they see. You could even use it with your family. I don't know how well that would go over, but you know, Hey, when I use it <laughs> yeah. with your family too. Yeah, exactly. But it, it reminds me of Wittgenstein's ladder because we put this this cliche in our new student's ear. We put it on the wall. It says, you know, leave your ego at the door. And it's a damn good rule to to have. It teaches beginners, okay, it's okay to lose. You know, you should never be unsafe when you're trying to win. Like if I'm in an arm bar, I'm not going to try and like spaz out of it and forget about 
you know, <laughs> the idea of uh, fulcrum and wedge and lever. Uh, and I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and try and spaz out of a submission or, or slam my opponent. Like, you know, that, that's why it's a good rule to teach to beginners at first. Leave your ego at the door. Don't be afraid to lose. And then when they build the skill and the awareness and the technique and the control, it's okay to have a little bit of ego now because now maybe, okay, now I understand what I'm trying to do when I enter, the, you know, when I do jujitsu, maybe I want to do a competition now, or maybe, maybe I'm willing to push myself against some, some more uh, higher ranked training partners. It's okay to get a bit of an ego there because an ego can be a great motivational tool. A lot of the time when I lose tournaments, you know, when I go home, I think about the losses. I think about where, you know, where I screwed up. And, you know, a lot of that is my ego because I don't want to lose again. I don't want to, I don't want to go into a match and and be embarrassed. When I go into a competition, I think it, like a super fight and it's me against another guy. I think, well, I don't want to lose this. Why? Because I don't want to get embarrassed. Why? Because I want my gym to look good. Why? Don't you not have an ego like we first discussed on day one? Well, no, I very much do have an ego. But again, there's a there's a time and place to to really take that cliche for what it's worth. And then there's also a time to go in there and try and do your absolute best to be successful. Yeah, it's kind of a paradox, right? Because on one hand, you want to succeed, but on the other hand, you also want to be able to accept defeat if it happens. So you're kind of being pulled in two different directions, right? And I think where people get screwed up is where they aren't able to do that. They're not able to balance that blade, right? You see people a lot of the time who might succeed at the best level, but they can't cope with loss and loss is inevitable. And when it happens, they're just never the same. You know, Ronda Rousey and Mike Tyson come to mind in that regard. But on the other hand, you see other people who are so comfortable with losing that they just aren't really even giving it their all, right? They're not really going in with the intent to actually win. So it's a paradox. You have to be able to balance that blade. You have to be able to say, I want to win and I'm going to try to win but I also accept defeat if it happens. And either way, I'm going to get better from this. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, uh, there was a match last year. I believe it was Polaris, but I could be wrong. I can't remember what promotion it was, but it was, oh, I think it was who's number one. It was Kyle Bame versus Gordon Ryan uh, in the main event. I've trained with Kyle before. He's actually a really nice guy. He's a little bit uh, outspoken politically on social media, but hey, that's fine as well. Before the match on his Instagram story, like an hour before the event started, he he filmed himself in the bathroom eating mushrooms <laughs> and it's, he's about to go against the current greatest nogi grappler in the world. And, and he's eating mushrooms beforehand and posting it on social. And it's kind of a classic example of uh, God, I don't even know what this is called, but you're basically it's almost like you're making a, an excuse if you're unsuccessful. You're kind of like, well, you know, I was on mushrooms. And even though he never said I lost because I was on mushrooms, you know, this is kind of one of those things where people can justify losses in their heads yeah. or they can set themselves up for failure almost like, oh, I don't really care too much about this. And and yeah, in the past, I mean, we've talked about that and called that defensive thinking, where before you go ahead and do something, you're already starting to prepare the excuses for why it's yeah. not going to work. You see this a lot in business contexts where people kind of self-sabotage a project before it even gets going because mm -hmm. they're not really fully bought in or they're worried that it's not going to go well and they'll look bad. So they start making all sorts of excuses before they even start. And you see that just as well in competition where people, oh, yeah. before they even step on the mats, they're, they've got a million reasons why the training camp wasn't exactly 
what they wanted it to be. Or they say things like, oh, I'm just here for fun. I don't exactly. really care if I win. Yeah. Or I'm, I don't have a game plan or, you know, yeah. or, oh, I'm feeling really tired right now. Or they, you know, it's, yeah. the, it's the pre-excuses, right? It's the excuses yeah. before the match. When really, if you're going into a competition like that, like you, I mean, if you're a blue belt, you can very well win competitions like that. But if you're going at like ADCC trials or if you have a super fight and you're a brown or a black belt, like you shouldn't be. It's just not a healthy mindset for a competitor, in my opinion. I think it's a fine mindset to have if you're recreational or if you're just going to the practice room or whatever. But like really, when we're trying to win, we should try to win. That's when the ego is important. We shouldn't go into these competitions and think, you know what? It's okay if I lose because the truth is. It is okay if you lose, like no one's going to care. It's not going to kill you if you lose. But I've always thought if I'm going to do something, I'm going to try and do it the right way. And that means fully committing myself to it. And if I lose, there's there's really no excuses, right? Yeah. And interestingly, defensive thinking is an example of the ego misbehaving because the reason why people do that is to preemptively protect their ego. They're afraid that they're going to lose. They might be afraid that they're going to look bad. That hurts the ego. So they preemptively set up all of these excuses so that when things don't go their way, they can say, oh, well, that was kind of the plan the whole way through. I just have to share this aside because we're talking about the ego. And then I want to piggyback onto what you said about defensive thinking. But I'm sitting here realizing that I have my shirt on inside out. So, you know, when you talk about the ego, I'm just really glad that we're not on camera. Because I thought to myself, wow, I really, I did this wrong. I messed this up. So I just wanted to share that with you because it just could have been, could have been real bad. You know, what's funny though, is because you're Valerie Worthington, people would see that and they'd be like, is this what like high level jujitsu experts do? Are we all supposed to be wearing our shirts backwards? Is this like the pineapple thing? (laughs) Wow. Those people, those people definitely would need to find other people to emulate. But to your point about, to your point about defensive thinking, one of the things that I think is so fascinating about this and also so challenging when it comes to figuring out how we can deploy our ego effectively and in the right context is because so much of that defensive thinking, or for so many people, I think it happens subconsciously. I don't think people always or even often realize that that's what they're doing when they're grasping for excuses or when they're not doing absolutely everything they can to prepare. And I can say we, because I know that I've, I've done it to myself too, but it raises this this question that comes up in philosophy a lot as it's applied to education, and it's the learning paradox. So how do you go from not knowing something to knowing something? How can we go from not knowing how to deploy our egos in a healthy way to being able to do it? And what's the answer? According to Douglas Adams, the answer is 42. (laughs) Damn, I was hoping for a really, really good one there. Well, I guess actually that is a good one. I'm a big fan of Hitchhiker. Yeah, it's... I think that when we tell people things like the ego is the enemy, we might be doing them a degree of a disservice because that kind of thinking is very dogmatic in a lot of ways. And one of the things that I've learned to be alert about as I get older is trying to identify when people are speaking about things in absolute certain terms, because usually that's a warning sign that there is some missed nuance. Very, very few things in life are completely 100% certain. And I would say that one of the benefits of jujitsu is it can be a tool to help you kill your ego, but it's no guarantee. As I said, when I was on Stefan Kesting's podcast, you know, I don't think that jujitsu is going to make you a better person. I think what it will do is give you the confidence 
confidence to be a bolder person of who you already are. If you're a good person, I think jujitsu can be a part of a framework for life that kind of becomes a guiding North Star. It can teach discipline, respect. But if you're a bad person, jujitsu can make you into a bigger bully than you were before, right? And Absolutely. I've seen it. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen this so often, especially at black belt level. I mean, I don't want to see another one of these press releases of some terrible thing that some well-known black belt did, but I know it's going to happen in a few months because it's just, it's part of our community, unfortunately. So I do worry sometimes that we, when we say, oh, jujitsu is this character building, ego managing, magical tool, I worry that- both ways. Yeah. And I worry that when we tell people that jujitsu is like a guaranteed character builder, what we're implicitly saying is if you're good at jujitsu, you must have good moral character. So if you're a black belt, therefore you must be a good person. And I think that that is just a complete lie. And I I worry that sometimes the fact that we kind of advertise jujitsu as being this magical character builder, I think sometimes it gives black belts a little bit of self-permission to do some really awful things. I think that we need to be honest that like, look, it's just jujitsu is just a tool just like anything else and how you use that tool is up to you. I agree 100%. I have definitely seen people use the black belt to their advantage and to the disadvantage of other people as well. And you asked you asked a serious question and I gave a snarky answer about how we become self-aware and what I wanted to share I think relates to this idea of what you're saying also about we're we're selling sort of a damaged bill of goods if we say that jiu-jitsu will automatically make you a better person. I think one of the things, one of the tools that we have at our disposal that we can use to help us become better people is introspection and self-awareness like I was talking about. And that's one of the things that continues to fascinate me about coaching. And I know that there are also athletic teams. I know that there are teams at universities, professional sports teams that use sports psychologists and also use coaches in the professional sense that I'm involved in to help people with those those breakthroughs in self-awareness and in recognizing, oh, okay, so this situation is the result of these actions on my part in addition to these circumstances. It isn't just that it's other people. If everybody in the room is the jerk, then maybe it's me. Or I keep running into this same pattern and now I'm starting to recognize it. So I think arguing that jujitsu will make you a better person is, I agree with you 100% that that's false advertising. The real challenge, the real way that we can try to become better people is by being introspective and by going to those places in ourselves that we don't really like very much so that we can do something about them. Yeah, I think depending on who we're discussing when we when we talk about said egotistical person who's a dick, you know how ego, oh, jujitsu is a character building thing. I mean, it is And it isn't. It kind of depends on the environment. I mean, if you come to a gym where the instructor's a great person, they're not afraid to lose, they're totally transparent, they try and give everything they can to their students, they try and elevate their students, and they try and teach their students to become good instructors as well, and better people, there's a very high chance that most people who walk in that gym will become better people. They will build better character because they're immersed in in an environment that allows that type of uh, 
a mindset to thrive. But if you go to a gym where everyone's beating the crap out of each other, everyone's a douchebag, it's it's kill or be killed. I'm not going to teach you my secrets. I'm just going to keep trying to like that's a great Petri dish of negativity where people will where the character will build in the opposite direction, right? I mean, there's so many factors, upbringing and, you know, financial stability, personal personal health, all these all these factors that go into whether or not a person could actually become a better person because of jujitsu. But it's kind of difficult to say exactly. I mean, I, I've seen guys come into my gym at brown belt, uh, even black belt level. And in my opinion, if you go to someone's gym, if you go to someone's class, you are basically saying, I'm a blank canvas. Maybe I'm better at this than you. Maybe you're better at this than me, whatever. I, I don't care. I'm at your class. I'm here to learn your stuff regardless of whether or not I think I know a better way. I'm here to be respectful and take the knowledge, whatever you give me, give it to me. If it's something I don't agree with, that's fine. I'm here to learn your, your jujitsu. And I sometimes have people that come to my classes from other schools and I watch the way they move. I watch the things they do. I watch their strategies for certain leg entanglements and, and the type of attacks they employ. And I try and sometimes I try and give them feedback and then right away I'm hit with a, Oh, I do it this way because of this or, or this way works for me. Right. And it's like, okay. I mean, that's where me as an instructor, I turn my ego off because I don't have to convince you of anything. I've given you the information. I've given you my opinion on why I think there might be a different or a better way. And I get resistance instead. So at that point I'm like, oh, okay, this person's just not coachable. It's not my obligation to make you a coachable student, especially when you're a guest from outside and you're just dropping in. So that's fine. Keep doing it your way then. And I just basically move on, you know, but for the students who are literally a blank canvas, you know, the real coachable beginner's mind type students where you give them feedback and then, you know, you can see how they're thinking about what you said. They really consider it. And then instead of giving you an excuse or a, a reason why they do things a certain way, they say, okay, coach. Yeah, got it. It's like, those are the people that I'm going to invest more time in because I can see you know, these people are not afraid of new ideas. They're not afraid to learn new things. And they came here to actually learn from me. They didn't come here to just roll and train with my guys, right? I want to read this uh, post that uh, Deagle just made. It's actually pretty interesting. When a match ends, the first thing that goes through your mind is relief, regardless of the outcome. Competing is stressful. And when it's done, you feel at ease. But the reality hits you. If you are serious about competing, the outcome will affect you after the immediate burst of relief fades. This picture was taken in the middle of a submission only, no time limit match I competed under, sadly, the now defunct submission mission event, which ran over 90 minutes in length. I didn't even know he did a 90 minute match. That's pretty impressive. To my knowledge, no video exists of the match, and I have only ever been able to find this picture. There's a picture of him going for a leg lock. But the memory lingers on in my mind, and I doubt I will ever forget it. I was competing against an extremely athletic and resilient opponent who had previously submitted me in a very embarrassing fashion in competition. I can't imagine a more stressful competitive scenario. As the match went on, many thoughts went through my head of quitting, of giving up a strangle or a joint lock so I could just be done with it. If I'm being honest, the main thing that kept me going was blind ego. Some woman by the side of the mat kept verbally accosting me and saying I was going to quit and my main motivation at the time was to prove her wrong. At the 30 minute mark, she screamed in my face that I was done. An hour later, I got a heel hook. 
patience and spite made all the difference. Whatever sort of stressful situation you are in, you have to find a reason to be patient and keep going. Even if it's something as petty as spite, if it gets you through the battle you're in, it's good enough. So interesting example, because I've actually been in matches before (laughs) where you hear the other corner or the other coach scream out, he's getting tired to his athlete. And you're on the bottom, like, Maybe you are tired, maybe you're not, but almost every time that happens, I get a burst of energy. So it's, I don't recommend that as a coaching advice because it can really offer motivation to the other athlete, but it's a hundred percent true. And I, I hate to say it sometimes when there are women watching, you know, your competitions, sometimes it's a motivator as well. And for whatever reason, maybe it's a biological thing. Dudes don't like to lose in front of their girlfriends. And a lot of the time that their ego can really help them them get a burst of physical energy. And that is kind of an interesting situation where ego can really help you in in a stressful competition. I wanted to say that what you just read, that's one of the most human things I've ever heard. And listening to you talk about your motivations, that's, that's very human too. I, and it's occurring to me, another, another sort of problem or fallacy about the ego is that it's super highfalutin and it's, you know, it's the best of us. Sometimes it's the very basest of us that, that our ego is tapping into. And I appreciated too, the idea that, that as an instructor, you can put your own ego aside, especially if someone else is not putting their ego aside, because I've seen the reverse happen too, where nobody will put their ego aside and the instructor will take the student's unwillingness to learn as a personal affront. But the sort of overall point that I'm trying to make here is that, you know, ego is, ego is dirty and primal. And, Mm -hmm. and so again, to talk about it in these lofty terms, as if it's the best of us or the most sophisticated part of us, I think, I think that does us a disservice too. Yeah, I like how you say ego is human. And I think that's probably the truest statement I've heard in this whole conversation is that it is human. It's in our DNA, really. You know, the the ego is what forces a lot of men to go out and try and find a mate and, you know, build up, build up skills and resources so that they can offer value to a mate. I mean, this is something that, you know, cave, cavemen did. This is just being human. And I think it's important that we don't really necessarily want to leave the ego at the door. I think it's important to leave the ego in your back pocket and utilize it when it's uh, when it's a good time to. I've trained under instructors who they will not tell you what they're doing to you. They just keep fucking you up every round, hitting you with the same sweep, taking your back and submitting you. And then when you ask them, okay, how did you do that? They kind of like... Oh, just, you know, just practice more or whatever. Yeah. It's just, uh, Matt, Matt, it, I just want to say, I'm really sorry about that. After this pandemic, I'll tell you what I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you get back to training, you come call me. When, you, when you're going to leave the house, you come call me, okay? And my door's always open. I am five weight classes up. I am going to go like Akebono on you and just sit on you. It's going to yeah? be amazing. You want to fucking go? Let's fucking go. No ego, bro. Let's fucking go. Yeah. It's like a prime example of how just like right there, that just that little joking little, whether or not it was meant as a joke, it is a clash of egos. And it's so human. It's something that I don't think we should try to, 
I don't even know if we should try to suppress it, but we need to manage it and put it in a context where, okay, there's there's ways to use your ego positively and there's ways to use your ego negatively. I think suppressing and turning it off completely is not good. I think understanding its use as a tool and as a means to achieve something is uh, is more important. Yeah, I, I would love to hear Val's thoughts on this, given her background. But I think that when we say killing the ego, that's actually kind of problematic because as you guys said, ego is human. And I think that a better approach is acceptance of the ego, acceptance of the fact that we're not perfect, right? This is just part of who we are and learning to control it and use it as a tool, right? If you're trying to actively kill parts of what makes you human, I'm not sure that's the best approach to personal growth. It's never an either or, right? What makes life so complicated is that the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. So we need to have ego, but not too much. And we need to know how to use our ego and when. And for me, it really does come back to this notion of self-awareness and how each of us as individuals can understand how we are deploying our ego at any given time. And then as we become higher ranked, how we are modeling the use of our egos to our students in the world in in general. And I think a lot of us have work to do. I certainly know I have work to do in this area. And so for me, it's, I think the piece, like I mentioned before, the piece that I think is so important and that I don't know that we as instructors in particular, but we as jujitsu people in general, have as much of an opportunity to do is to is to get that sort of supported, safe self-exploration opportunity, which I really do think leads to insight and then can help us become better able to to wield our egos in a healthy way. But how? How do we do that? <laughs> like if you're a good person who doesn't try to control, have power over anyone and you know you you have good morals, good values, you're generally a good person to be around, it's probably not really a an issue to to do this, but what if you're a dick? What if you're what if you're a person who is egotistical, who has who you know has power trips and is not used to losing? And how do you how do you do that then? I think not to use a, a business speak analogy, but I think that that's not the low hanging fruit, right? That those aren't the people who are going to be sort of easily or more easily swayed. But in answer to the question of how how do we become self aware? I can only tell you what I have done in the past and I can share examples. The biggest sort of category of example for me in jujitsu of when I, when I'm becoming self-aware of a way in which I'm using my ego in ways that are, that are not serving me or my students is the sort of my gut feeling. So if someone's asking me a question about a move that I'm teaching or a sequence that I'm teaching or a concept, and I start to feel defensive or I start to feel annoyed with the person, then that for me is a signal that it's time for me to look inward. I think in the past, I would have just sort of written off the student as being annoying. But now what I try to do is say, all right, this student is asking me a question or is asking me multiple questions and they're they're giving me a reaction that I don't like. I don't like this part of myself. I don't like being defensive. My tendency or my impulse is to be snippy with this student. So what's really going on here? And usually it's that I'm teaching something that I don't feel as comfortable teaching as the things that I feel most comfortable teaching. So I can tell that the student is sort of bumping up against my understanding or my ability to explain. And that's making me feel defensive. 
So now I have the capacity to say, oh, this person is just helping me point out areas where I need to improve my understanding of this technique. And so in the past, in the moment, I've just, I know that I've been blustery or I know that I've been snippy. And what I try to do now is say, you know what, that's a really good question. I'm learning this technique myself. Let me do some research and get back to you. Easier said than done. I don't always do it. But for me, that's one of the things that is a that is an internal signal that there's something going on that's bumping up against my ego that maybe I want to take a closer look at. So that's one specific example. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And actually, incidentally, I have offered similar advice to people in jujitsu when it comes to how they spar. So this is a very powerful tactic is learning to feel the defensiveness in yourself, learning to identify when you're starting to get defensive, because that usually means your ego is involved and you're about to make a mistake. I often give a physical equivalent of that when I'm sparring with new people, which is try to develop awareness of when you're tensing up, because if you're sparring with someone and you're getting overly tense, usually that means you're doing something wrong and developing an awareness of that becomes a great magnifying glass to identify where you need to improve and where maybe you don't know what you're doing. And it applies just as well in the mental game too. I agree a hundred percent. I think that's one of the many things that jujitsu gives us for over time, right? Is the ability to sort of feel our bodies and to be embodied in a way that I think a lot of people aren't these days. A lot of people live sort of from the neck up. And so I really like that idea. And I, I do the same. I try really hard to help students feel what they're feeling in their bodies. And sometimes they don't know what to do with it, but that's part of my job as the instructor. Another answer to the question of how, how we can make ourselves more aware is this is where our peers and our loved ones come in. If I have a colleague who I really trust in terms of their jujitsu skill, if we're talking about a jujitsu situation, and in terms of their, or my belief that they have my best interests at heart, then if I'm getting stuck on something, or if I'm not having the reaction that I'm expecting, then that's a person that I can go to and say, hey, did you see how this session went? What did you perceive? And give the person permission to be honest with me, not to be mean, but to be honest and to say what they see in a way that might help me make changes for the better. Kind of reminds me of, uh, I remember when I was in cooking school, there's like 12 blocks, each block is a month. And uh, when we went into the fine dining restaurant, I think it was the evening service block. So we walk in and there's a, there's a sign on the, on the wall and it says, it's like a creed almost, or like a, like a commandment list. And one of the things it says is, when you come in, all of the ideas belong to the chef. And then it's like the next line, you may have your own ideas, but when you come in here, those ideas become the chef's ideas. And, uh, you know, what you thought, you know, before you don't know the chef knows everything. Like these were like, it was almost like they were indoctrinating every student to come in to be submissive and compliant to the chef, which is basically that was the culture in the culinary arts over the last God, ever, ever since the culinary tradition started and only in the last 20 years have we actually seen more of a progressive movement in the culinary industry where I won't say all, but less cooks are getting their ass kicked by their chefs. So it's like that's also an, an industry where egos and things like that can either make or break a career. And I think in all business, you know, even in even in your journey as a as a jujitsu practitioner, your ego can kind of make or break you. And I think that we were discussing how egos are human. 
I think it's really important to remember that egos are also contagious, whether it's positive or negative, you know, having a having a big ego in the practice room and never losing and all this stuff, it will definitely transition to other people in the room. If you have the ability to be coachable and you, even as the instructor, you know, I think I've shared this before. There was times when I showed a technique and then no one said anything. And then we, you know, we, whatever, okay, one, two, three, break. And then we, we try the technique. And then one of my blue belts, who's actually really good, he comes up to me. He's like, Hey, I saw, I saw this. What do you think of this? And not saying, you know, this is also him chambering his own ego. He didn't say, I have a better way. He said, what do you think about this? And then he showed me something and I'm like, oh, that's actually a crucial detail that I ignored. And so we all got together and I accredited this person and said, hey, just so you know, I can learn from this guy too. Uh, this is something that I, I love having a room where my guys teach me things. And as long as I'm receptive to it, everyone kind of adopts that attitude. And I think that uh, it's important to remember that ego can be contagious, whether it's positive or negative. And I think that the thing that, that I'm that I'm hearing also, I think that's a really wonderful example. And what it also reflects is your willingness to examine your ego and check your ego. And that comes back to what we were saying in the past about like, what do you do about the real kind of egomaniacs and, and the people who seem really insufferable? And I don't know what the answer is with them, because I think that the impulse or the desire to corral the ego or deploy the ego in the way we're talking about, the ways we're talking about, is a decision that has to come from within. So the best we can do is model it ourselves. And I think also try to support the people that we see doing the same things that we're trying to do. But I love that example. I think it's beautiful. And I try to do the same thing as well. Hey, you know what? So-and-so asked a great question or raised a really important detail that I neglected to mention. So let's come back together so that we make sure that everybody has all that they need to, to drill this sequence. Yep, yep, yep. Maybe we should give an example of a good and a bad example of, of how each of us individually have an ego. <laughs> I can definitely do that. I mean, back onto the topic of spite. <laughs> I have a good yeah. example of that. I mean, I remember one time on the job, I was given a, a really important, really complicated project and someone else was really, really upset that I was given that job. And they basically, they said, you know, Steve isn't the best guy to do this. He doesn't know how to do this. He can't do it. He doesn't have the requisite skills. It should be given to someone else. And I got pissed off and I knocked it out of the park. And I, I mean, I never brought it up with that guy, but every time I look at him, I'm like, fucking showed you, didn't I? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that was a great example of where the ego helped me. But that particular strategy of basically trying to show up the haters, it can also be dangerous because it makes you reactive to the whims of other people. It gives you control or it gives other people control over you, right? If every time someone gets mad at you or yells at you or tells you you can't do something, you get your back up and then you immediately try to prove them wrong, then who's making the decisions anymore? Is it you or is it the other person, right? You never want to outsource the decision-making of your life to another person. So that's a good example of how it's a two-sided blade, right? There's pros and cons to using the ego to get things done. Yeah, I'll, I'll be transparent about something I, I still I still am egotistical about. I think, uh, well, in a negative way, I definitely hold grudges too much, especially with people who cross me. I've tried to get away from this more, but definitely in my culinary days, there would be many, many shifts where you, you know, you meet people who are, 
let's just say not pleasant to work with. And when someone crosses you a certain amount of time or they even they'll go and try and sabotage your day. I mean, it's I can be bad holding grudges against these people. And in, an, in another example, you know, I, I definitely have an ego with my with my school. I feel that my school offers offers jujitsu on a level that few schools in the area can offer. And that's my ego talking for sure. And it's it works in two ways. On one on one hand, it makes me feel like an egotistical prick because I think that my product's best. But on the other hand, I kind of feel it gives me a sense of confidence because I know that, you know, for example, all these lockdowns and I don't know if we call it lockdown, a restriction where I can't operate my business at the moment. It gives me the confidence to know that I'm not at all concerned about my future because I think people are always going to try and train with me. So in ways, the ego can be bad and cause a negative energy in your life if you're always holding grudges and you're, you don't want to be the bigger person and say, hey, you know what, we shouldn't be, let's just squash the beef or whatever. And I'm guilty of that. But also it can be a kind of a positive thing if it gives you an extreme amount of confidence in your product or, or your service or your skill. And moving forward, you, you kind of know that you'll always be okay because you've spent so much time honing that skill and understanding of whatever it is you do. So much to respond to there. I was going to say, is it my turn now? So going back to to something we were talking about just earlier, a different manifestation, a problematic manifestation of ego. Hi, I'm Valerie, and I'm an inveterate people pleaser. So I'm the person who I, you know, for the first part of my life, it's not that I didn't have an opinion, it's that other people's opinions were more important. Where do you want to eat? Oh, I don't care. Why don't we go where you want to go? And so I found that I had stayed in professional and personal situations for far too long after they became um, unhealthy for me because I wasn't willing to assert my ego. So this is a, this is kind of an example of a time when when ego or my sense of self-preservation could have come in handy and didn't. And I'm definitely much better about that now. There's something really freeing about being the age I am and just, you know, not caring nearly as much. And I hope that doesn't mean that I've turned, that the pendulum has swung the other way, but that I'm much more genuine and authentic now because I'll say, no, I don't like that. Or yeah, let's do this. Or I'm going to quit this job. And it's for me a lifetime process. And I've definitely lost some some people and some some situations along the way. But it's an example on the other end of how too little ego, too little belief in myself was was a negative influence as well. Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I have often found that when it comes to career development, sometimes I'm my own worst enemy because I just don't want to speak up and say what I want. Like it feels like it's greedy or bragging, but it's not really right. Like everyone should be completely open and transparent and honest about what they want, because if you don't say what you want, then you can't expect that other people will magically know and try to help you, right? I think that a lot of people wind up quitting their jobs because they're very frustrated that they're not getting that promotion or that raise they want. But you have to ask, well, did you ask for it, right? And having the boldness to ask for something like that and to say what your goals are, it does require a, a bit of the ego. I think, of course, where you don't want to go is too far in the other direction, like you said, where your ego is basically justifying baseless confidence, like making you think that you know more about something than you do, you know, that kind of thing. But a little bit of it is necessary to actually take big risks. 
So this is really, to me, what you're describing about being comfortable asking for what you want and and being willing to have a conversation about that instead of having it be a one-way street. To me, it seems like this is one of the, the growing pains that I've witnessed over the years in jujitsu in general. When I first started jujitsu, you didn't ask any questions. You didn't have any thoughts. It was sort of like the cooking school analogy that we were talking about earlier, where if the instructor wanted to know your opinion, they'd tell you what it was. And over time, I think people have become more sort of consumers of jujitsu in a way where they feel like, you know, you know, I'm paying money for this and I, I deserve to have a sense of, of how this is going to go. So that ba- striking that balance between, well, you know, I'm the instructor and I have, I have the, the content knowledge, but balancing that with, you know, I've been very sedentary and I need to start slowly or my child needs this or that. That kind of balance is is something that I see changing over time as well. And it adds to this conversation about how we can support our students in deploying their egos in a way that helps us help them and isn't a hindrance or, as you said, knocking on the door of, oh, you know what? I saw this on YouTube, so I gotcha. Actually, you can learn a lot off of YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> You you can, but but interest. You can learn anything on YouTube, <laughs> but but actually, YouTube is a great example because it's you know mostly unfiltered content. So you get a lot of people on there with big egos who think they're better than they are, and they can wind up pushing out some content that is honestly not that great. So it's a, it's an interesting example of where like overconfidence can cause problems and maybe make you look like an idiot in the public space and and also screw up other people because they they might be listening to you. Yeah. Definitely a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah. So Val, I guess to tie this one up, if you had a magic wand, and I know of course you do, you can wave your magic wand, you can change one thing about the jiu-jitsu community to just help people better manage their egos in this space. What do we do? Like what's what's the one big thing that you wish people in this martial art would do that's not currently being done at scale? This is going to sound so self-serving and I don't mean it to, but I really do think there's a place for introspection for all of us. There's a place for whether it's coaching or whether it's discussion, some opportunity for each of us to recognize the role that we play in our own experience on the mat and to understand that we don't control everything, but we may control more than we think in terms of the type of experience that we have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And so on that note, I mean, I know we're getting into your wheelhouse here. If someone wants to learn more about this, if they want to get in contact with you, if they want to check out your work, how can they find you, Val? They can go to ValerieWorthington.com. They can find me on Instagram and Facebook. And I probably spend too much time playing words with friends on Facebook. So, but ValerieWorthington.com is probably the best way to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anybody who is interested in sort of this idea of, of introspection. It's it's hard. How do you become more knowledgeable about something, particularly something about yourself that you don't already know? But that's where the the advancements that we make in our own lives and in our own minds happen. So it's in my mind for, for in my experience, it's worth it to try. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Val. And of course, I think everyone knows, but just in case, if you want to support us, you can do that at patreon.com slash models. That's the best way to help us keep the lights on. We also make sure to provide a lot of extra stuff to the people who support us there. There's premium content. There's access to our awesome Discord community. And also you can send Matt and I videos of yourself rolling and we will provide you with detailed technical breakdowns. That's something we do for our patrons. Great way to stay sharp if you're still in a place where you're not able to get to the gym. Again, that's patreon.com slash models. It really does make a difference. Matt and I want to keep ramping this thing up and giving you guys more good stuff and your support on Patreon makes all the difference to us. So thank you again. Valerie, lovely chat. Thank you so much again for coming by. Really appreciate it. I assume that now you're going to go and murder some white belts, right? <laughs> You know what I'm going to go do? And thank you. So I love chatting with you guys. And I'm going to probably try to fashion some other reason to talk to you, whether on the podcast or just in general. But I think what I'm going to do to make myself feel feel good about myself now is just go hurt some feelings. (laughs) (laughs) just just well that isn't that 2020 in a nutshell just go on to (laughs) go go on to facebook and just start leaving like really aggressive comments on people's posts and you know clearly that's the best thing for everybody it really really is especially people keep saying that january is the 13th month of 2020 so you know we're still in it all right well thanks a lot valerie really do appreciate you dropping by again and again as always thanks to everyone for your attention and spending the time to check out the show hope to hear from you guys next time as always thanks again for listening thanks guys 